someone else has already said it best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 hands together for the Saviors of Soul, the hardest working band in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, the commitment. Yes, hello, 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 and welcome to Best of the Best podcast with myself, Mr. Connor Keys, alongside me as always, Mr. Ronan Mullen. I hit my leg with a drumstick last night and I'm rubbing my leg and I know I've got a, a welt. Well, I'm glad you explained why you're rubbing your leg when you're sitting next to me. It's like right. Do you want to feel? Do you want to feel my leg? Nah, feel my leg. It's right at the where my wallet is. <laughs> it's so sickening. Anyway, okay. Uh, hello uh, and welcome ow. to Best the Best Podcast. <laughs> uh, with me, Connor Keys, beside me at all times, <coughs> with one leg, Mister Ronan Mullen, Leggy McMullen. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, we are here to do uh, the commitments. Yes. I'm going to say uh, the greatest ever Irish film. I will, yeah. I, I would throw that for me, yes, anyway. Uh, yeah, 1991. Mm-hmm. And come up 30 years, sadly. <laughs> scary as it is. Okay, uh, the Commitments is uh, directed by Alan Parker. Yeah. Based on the, the novel uh, by Roddy Doyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of his Barrytown trilogy. Which doesn't exist. Which doesn't <laughs> exist. There's so many different areas of Dublin. I thought Barrytown was an area. Yeah. To the areas it was Killebrack. Yeah. I which is worse than anything you could ever <laughs> imagine. But, yeah. And the the cast... Uh, so, the, the, the plot of the film, if you haven't seen The Commitments, um, God shame on you. Um, but, of course, you would have seen it. But the, the, it's based on a north side of Dublin um, group of working class lads. And it follows a young Jimmy Rabbit who decides to set up a, a soul band. Yeah, he's a music sort of Lothario. He, he he has records everywhere and he loves the thought of being in the business, but under a different guise as a manager, possibly. Yeah, when we say he's in the business, uh, it shows you at the start of the film, he's yeah. basically selling bootleg tips yeah, around the market and stuff. It's business. <laughs> Uh, 1991, and if you, so if you go back to look at this, you'll see uh, quite a different Dublin. Yeah. It's a stark contrast. Even the, the stuff that's found in here that's in the city centre is mm-hmm. grim. Really grim. Um, so in less than 30 years, Dublin has absolutely transformed itself. Yeah. And The price of chips and all that, man. <laughs> no, 50p, 50p for a bag of chips. Way so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of changes. There's a lot of things that have uh, uh, definitely show up uh, whenever you watch this. Mm-hmm. But one thing that stands the test of time, Dublin doesn't stand the test of time in it, but the actual uh, dialogue and the, the characters and ultimately the music definitely yeah. stands the test of time. Yeah, I, I'd say the difference in the the sort of colloquialisms between the 1800s and the 1900s is vastly different in Dublin, but between 30 years ago and now, it's pretty much still the same. Because <laughs> yeah. I've been slagged off exactly like the slaggers in this film by dubs recently. Yes, uh, you will hear a lot of... I remember when it came out, I was just uh, 10. 
Mm. And I remember it being the buzz film that all the adults were oh, talking man. about. Absolutely. Every adult I knew was watching, including my dad. It's not often you get my dad interested <coughs> in anything that yeah, didn't have John Wayne with. Well. And so I was very curious, but I was warned, you're not allowed to watch this. Uh-huh. You're not. This is terrible. This is There's too much bad language in this. There's a fierce amount of bad language. And, and of course, what happens then? You do anything in your power yeah. to get watching it. And then I watched it, and I was like, that sounds like my man and dad. <laughs> there's, I, I, well, there's no more bad language than that than there is in our fucking living room. That's, that's the other side of it. It was It's all good. If somebody turned around you and said, you can't watch whatever, but because it, it had nudie bits and sexy bits in it, you totally got it. Yeah. But, the but when somebody goes, because <laughs> somebody says, go away and shite, like, I heard that this morning. Granny said that this morning. <laughs> At mass? When you're told, don't fucking watch that tape. Because <laughs> there's bad language in it. Where it's that fucking tape, bad fucking languages. <laughs> Which was, uh, and uh, but to be to be fair, it, it's what stuck with me first, was the the use of the language and how good it was. Yeah. And some of the ones I'd never heard, and that's in my head now mm-hmm. forever. Forever. We have, so the film starts off with Jimmy Rabbit sort of doing um, n- narration slash fake interview. But so, what we assume is Terry Wogan. Terry Wogan, we always assume because he calls him Terry at all times. Um, so Jimmy, always aspiring to be successful, always aspiring to be the yeah, and he's, in, in the hot seat. That, that, yeah. Just pretending to be in a chat show with, yeah. uh, with at the time, uh, for any of our younger listeners, Terry Wogan was the Graham Norton of the time. Yeah, he was. Um, he to was, be on his show then was, you know, you were you really made it. He was one of the boys who shipped over and... Became one of their boys. One of their boys. Uh, yeah, he was Graham Norton, just basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, you have... Uh, but Jimmy Rabbit, when he's doing his wee fake interviews, he's very egotistical. Oh, yeah. He's always saying, well, I knew it was going to be successful, yeah. and I knew it was going to happen. And, and this is how it was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but that's what... Back to what I was saying about the language. The very first bit of dialogue in it, apart from Jimmy's couple of lines of narration, the very first words spoken by a character on the stage are, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And and fuck off appears. I think something like five to six times in the what's, first four or five minutes. What's your favorite fuck off? Uh, I have a personal oh. favorite. I have, it's in fact it's my favorite bit in the film, and it's just a throwaway bit. I would have to. Okay, uh, so they're at the wedding. <laughs> the boy. The boys, the boys sleeping. The I know boys, that's, that's, the boys are up <laughs> doing their deals, darling. Right. And um, the Wayans are all fucking about. And the third boy's sitting sleeping at a wedding, middle of the day, pints everywhere. And the Wayans turn over his feet and he just. And it's genuinely the best piece acting in the whole film. He just sits up and goes, fuck off. <laughs> and it's like, I've seen that so many times. Well, that's what happened to me when I watched it going, that's my granddad. I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that happen. Uh, yeah, so it was very, very real. And, and that. We should talk about Alan Parker and, uh, mm. I mean, his previous films. His canon. His canon. Um, they've all been sort of gritty and real. Yeah, he's a very that. he's a very serious filmmaker. Well, he again, like we talked about with um, Tony Kay, he, he came from the advertising world. Mm-hmm. And um, he was taken very seriously there too. He was very highly regarded and he was one of the first ones to step into feature film along with Ridley Scott. So he he he's like um you, you forget how many good films he made, mm. uh, especially in the early days. He did the Wall. He did Pink Floyd's The Wall. That's right. Yeah. And um, he did Fame and Bugsy Malone <laughs> and Midnight Express and Angel Heart and Evita. Mm-hmm. 
He did all these. Like he's, he's made some proper film, proper directors. Real great films. But with regards to this film in particular, he himself said it was the best time he's ever had making a film. And that's to this day. Mm-hmm. The retrospective stuff that came out um, with the 20 year. He right. was like, it's still my still favorite. favorite. And he hasn't made many films since like 2019 or 13, sorry. Right. So he, 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 it is still in his head considered. And there's a critic who wrote, uh, David Thompson in The Guardian wrote, Parker showed an unusual fondness for people, place, and music. It was as close as Parker has come to optimism <laughs> in a film. And that's... Yeah, you can see it. You yeah. can see it. Like. Absolutely. And uh, he, he does say at, at some point that, you know, when he got Roddy Doyle's book, um, a very thin book, which it was, yes, a it very is. short book, but he said every single page he was laughing. And that's what made yeah. him decide, you know, to, to try and do it. So there is a lot of comedy in this, as much as, do, do we describe it as a comedy? There's dramatic parts in it. There's, there's a lot of comedy. Well, it's funny. Of, well, nobody's laughing in it. No. But it, it, it is funny. It is funny, yeah. And that's that's down to the dialogue. Yeah, well, again, that's what that's what Parker said at the start as well. When he read it, there wasn't much description of what was going on. Mm-hmm. It was just dialogue. Everything was, yeah. You didn't need the description. So you didn't need it, yeah. yeah. So we have <laughs> Jimmy Rabbit has started off, uh, we start to fill him off where he talks about trying to put a band together. So he decides to put an advert in the local paper. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we do have one of my favorite characters in, in the whole film is Jimmy Rabbit Sr. Jimmy Rabbit Sr., man. Played by the amazing Colin Meaney. Yeah. Who steals the show early on now. Very early on steals the show because he's the first one to answer the door yep. to the very first uh, person trying to audition for the band. And of course, he's Jimmy Rabbit Sr., not Junior, so he has no fucking clue yeah. what is going on. He hasn't been informed of the ad in the paper. No, and... Him. Then he comes in and uh, recites the advert back into <laughs> to Jimmy. Yep. If you've got soul, the hardest working band in Dublin wants to see you sort of thing. Yep. And uh, yeah, so right away, and then we get to see he's also got a love of Elvis. And he's got the burns, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's got the hair twirled. <laughs> when he starts singing the, uh, what is it? Um, I can't, can't help falling in love. And uh Jimmy, Jimmy Junior, because he has been always. You can imagine him over the years slagging off Elvis, yeah. and slagging off what he'd done to his father and all the rest, because he was such a, a music aficionado. Um, I, think, I can't remember the line of something like, uh, "The old boy was getting very upset." He says, "Elvis is God." He says, "I can't imagine God singing, or and a, and a busted gusset singing I, my way in Caesar's Palace." Yeah. <laughs> but that line alone. Where he's, he comes back in with something and the old boy just gets awfully serious really fast. Oh, and goes, Elvis is God. Aye. <laughs> 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 right. And he, yeah, so Colin Meaney has a lot of good uh, scenes in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early part, you don't see him later on, but in the early part, he, he's in um, a couple of scenes which are standout ones. And the, uh, but a typical father sort of looking at Jimmy Jr. going, what the fuck are you doing? What are you? Mm-hmm. So then that proceeds and leads into the, one of the greatest audition montages yeah, ever it's, created. Yeah, it's brilliantly done. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't really get... There was a lot of people that were complaining about the uh, fluidity of the film and how it flowed from scene to scene, but especially in that opening hour, it flies by. Like. I, I have to agree. I read the exact same thing, and I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm biased because I love it so much, but I'm like, it's a two-hour film that you do not notice. No, not at all. You in. do not it's, feel it. It's unbelievable. The only, um, the only time it takes a sort of pause is when they go to play. 
Yeah. But that opening gambit is, it's just bye bye, bye, bye yeah. beat, beat, beat. Non stop. I, I really, I don't, it's a criticism I don't understand, but it, it never felt that way to me still. It never felt then and definitely doesn't feel like that mm-hmm. now. But that, like you said, yeah, the audition scene is something to behold. Like. The auditions are great. So we have basically uh, a montage of all freaks and geeks that you can think of coming to the door. <laughs> uh, and the main question Jimmy asked them is, what is your, what, or who are your influencers? <laughs> and who uh, who do you like? And uh, you get a wide range of <laughs> some of them sugar. Billy and the bollocks. Billy and the bollocks. Back my turner over the <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then uh, uh, the montage builds in. It goes past the sort of who your influences to actual listening to people audition and play and perform. But again, that's done brilliantly because it, it still cuts back to people at the door and people in the house yeah. playing their instruments for Jimmy. Like, and it's... And some of them are so fantastic. Now, we have wee bits of tidbits. So we have the cars. The cars. The cars. The, the famous <coughs> siblings uh, are in this film. All of them, I think, at some point. At some point. There's some in the background in music. And then I think Jim Corr, he's, he's playing he's there one, of the in, one of the bands. And then Andrea Corr has a speaking part. She's, she's, speaking part. she's Jimmy Rabbit's sister. and uh, You see her quite a few. Yeah, she's just quite a few. She only yeah. says one line, though, I think. Go away and shout. Go away and shout, yes. For the, when the wee brother asks for a hardware. Uh, so yes, the cars are in this, um, and uh, Andrea is there at some point helping Jimmy watch these mm-hmm. mental patients auditions. A very young Andrea, very very young. Yeah, and you would hardly recognise her. Yeah. To be fair, I was reading something yesterday, and Alan Parker himself said, out of everyone that's in the film, she's the most successful. <laughs> yeah. She's only in it yeah. for like three minutes or something entirely. Uh, yeah. Uh, we love the cars. Leave them alone. Um, are we not allowed? I didn't slag them. I hope. But they are the most successful. Like, are they? Oh, by far. With Hansard? <coughs> you think of many albums they've sold worldwide no, well, compared to Hansard? No, he well, even got an true. Oscar and he's still not close. Oh, it's a sad state of affairs in the cars or so. Way of the world. I met the cars, you know. Fuck off. Hmm? Didn't, on d- it. Doesn't bother with Jim. Uh, <laughs> Post successful cars or yeah. in the mix? Um, love their 90, 98, 99 after that, that is fucking yeah, that's them yeah. in there. That's them in their prime, and uh, yeah, I just I I didn't like the 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 waltz of the Andrea one. Just waltzed in and just like everything had to stop for her coming in, sort of thing, you know. And I was like, come on, the other two were sound like, but she was a real diva. And, she was uh, like the num- She was the yeah yeah the center oh but actually <laughs> do you know what i did that time? oh i forgot about that do you know what i did uh just where the, was this this was at uh rte studios in dublin okay and oh i think i remember you doing that and so then just out of badness because oh, no. i know i thought it was deadly like i did think it was deadly but she 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 reacted in a way that's so <laughs> wait you did something and she knew you did it oh, i yeah. thought it was like a fart on a fork or something no 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 so i uh Everybody was sort of. They don't forget this is 1998, so no mobile phones, just no selfies at that stage. But people had disposable cameras, bought, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it was more autographs were the thing mm-hmm. of the time. Young people, autographs was what happened when you asked a famous person for their signature as opposed to their selfie. Yeah, just a wee note. Which, to be absolutely <laughs> fair to the, new, the the younger generation, selfies are way more legit. Yeah, because I faked loads of autographs. Oh, don't even. Can I tell you about that someday? Tell me later. I'll tell you later. Anyway, so uh, Andrea Cora was doing her normal thing of 
signing autographs and me being the funny fucker. And this was a studio set, and there was more than just used there. Yeah, it was a green room. Next was loads of people there. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was after the Oma bomb thing. It was like the memorial thing that night. So there was loads of stars and celebrities all about it. And just because I thought I was funny. Everybody, even especially the lads, were all like, "Oh, there's Andrea Carr. Oh, jeez, Andrea mm-hmm. Carr." And so I went up and gave her my uh, piece, my wee book that I had for autographs, and I said, "Do you want my phone number?" <laughs> <laughs> Dirty boy. Now, in fairness, it was not what she was expecting. Of course, <laughs> this, this fat, sweaty kid with a CBS because uniform on. Like for, for the last, like. <laughs> By the way, we were since there for school. By the way, I wasn't just walking by being uniform. <laughs> since, she, since she got up that morning, like she's just been having people going, "Oh my god, oh my god!" Every, you know what I think? <laughs> BBC Three and BBC Four, you know everything she said, people were agreeing with, and then you walk up and we're like, hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> "Of course, she wasn't prepared for that." Like, do you want my phone number? <laughs> what did she? <laughs> just, she genuinely didn't know what to say or what to look. Oh, she went, didn't even. Sorry, she, <laughs> she didn't know. No, that's the thing. No, she knows. She definitely didn't know. Oh, oh there was a, a a smirk, but not a laugh. No, I didn't get to crack the ice queen at that stage. But mm. um, yeah, where are they now? Um, I think Jim's selling spuds down off the RD turnoff there. That's him. That's him. Aye. Um, he's looking fucking. He's looking well. Back he's looking well. In fairness, like his back's broken. Mm, it's good weather down there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So yes, of course, and uh, but they they are genuinely the most successful part that came out of the commitments, which is yeah, very depressing, and yeah, uh, yeah. So the we uh, the the montage, the montage, sort of which she's a part of, she's a part of, but it builds on. Um, I think actually some of the sisters appear in one of the bands that are that are. are I have read Irish that too, but or I can't. I can't, I I can't pick actually. them out. Whatever. Uh, so there's loads of montages, including like a guy with heavy metal, somebody playing the fiddle, somebody wings. Playing, Wing <laughs> somebody doing uh, and the boys singing in through the letterbox and the boy like uh, hev- boy George sort of heaven knows I'm miserable now yeah guy singing the Smith song that's right that's right <laughs> Jimmy goes yeah I know how you feel um so then it just sort of again builds and builds and builds to the point where the house is absolutely just full of people lining yeah. up to to do something or onto addition um where Jimmy Rabbit can't even get to the toilet and when he does get to the toilet <laughs> 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 he meets a, a a Cajun band we'll call them yeah and uh, the lyrics are Elvis was a Cajun he was a Cajun god uh-huh. yeah and uh, <laughs> Jimmy Rabbit is on his way to the bog and he goes uh what does he say? That's fucking blasphemy. That's fucking blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> I was wasn't a cage. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So eventually, after all that, they they finally the only one person that because Jimmy has already got his bass player and his guitar player, which are his two best friends, um, Derek Scully and Outspanned. Yeah, and that's the basis for the band of which he's put the ad in the paper to audition yeah. for the first place. And uh, so I, I love the fact that Outspanned is called Outspanned. Mm-hmm. Ice Band's played by Glenn Hansard who everybody should or does know at this stage but anyway doesn't know Ice Band was a type of orange it's an orange it's an orange and because uh, he's ginger hair so he was Ice Band Oi, ginger and which is for a different character yeah <coughs> so then we have the only person they got out of the uh, auditions was Dean Fay the saxophone player um, yes they, they arrive with Dean who um, is fully queefed up yeah. in a leather jacket and the saxophone with him. But he's a plumber. But he's a plumber. <laughs> An unemployed plumber. <laughs> unemployed plumber. So they've got their, their crew, they're starting to get it together. Jimmy's, uh, they still haven't figured out 
uh, who's next? They haven't figured out the the. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Bring her back! Get, bring her! Bring her back a wee thing. Who am I missing here? The last win. The boy on the skateboard. Yes. So that that. I didn't know this neither. Ah, uh, yeah. So he opens up the bathroom one day. He's got the shower cap on. That's right. Yeah. Because Shimmy's like literally in the bath, and Andrea Corn knocks the door and goes, "There's another one." And he opens the door, or opens the window, and looks out, and there's a Wayne standing there with a skateboard. And he asks him to sing, and he's like, "No, nah, you want to do, do it out here, sort of do thing." It out here. And then he says, "Well, I right, see you later. See you later." Then. And he slides off. Mm-hmm. And it's a nothing. That fucking Wayne's in the front cover of two U2 albums. Ah, uh, that's Googie's younger brother, uh, Peter oh. Ruin. Uh-huh. So he's in the front cover of Boy and War. War, yeah. Um, I had Nabaldi. Very famous, yeah. Uh, very famous as a child, not then. And he is uh, his older brother. He's the famous artist, musician, best friends with Bono. Best friends with Bono, yeah. sort of thing. Googie, yeah. So, aye. How the fuck did that happen? Random as can be. And and Alan Parker, no idea. Oh, was it right? No, he oh, just he was just one of the auditions that showed up and showed he, up, he right. just looked like he'd be good on the camera and that was it. And he was. And he was right. Yeah, yeah. Just, just throw away a bit, as I yeah. say, but it's just somebody didn't have the courage to stand out and sing in the streets, so then you're not in the band. Uh, they Eventually then they 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 get another visitor. One mm-hmm. last person comes to for the audition and he is the... God sent him. God sent him. And... Uh, the Lord sent me and the Lord blows my trumpet. <laughs> that is the one and only uh, Joey the Lips Fagan. Uh, we'll see. We'll hear here the uh, the introduction when Jimmy Rabbit, who has been absolutely tortured all day with people telling them that their influences are everything from Joan Baez to Wings to Backman Turner Overdrive to oh, <laughs> Sinead really? O'Connor. <laughs> uh, nobody has come with any soul knowledge yet. No. Nobody has any idea of any of the, the, the soul uh, legends and all of a sudden here comes Joey Delips. You're trying to tell me you play with BB King? Among others, brother. Like? Have we got all day? Screaming Jay Hawkins, Marta Reeves, Sam Cook, poor Sam, Otis Redding, may the Lord of Mercy on his sweet soul. Joe Tex, the four tops, Stevie Wonder, he was only eleven, a pup. Wilson Pickett. What are you doing in Dublin? I'm tired of the road. My mammy isn't very well. Why would you want to join us? The Lord sent me. The Lord blows my trumpet. <laughs> there he goes. Down the alleyway on the bike. <laughs> what did Evil Knievel want? God sent him. What? God sent him. The fucking Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably oh. my favourite line in the whole film. Ah, my fucking Suzuki. <laughs> it's a lot of artistic license was taken from the book as well. And not a lot and not a lot of the scenes. Obviously, as we said, it's not a very descriptive book. So they had license to do pretty much whatever they want with the screenplay. So Roddy Doyle wrote a draft, and that's what sold a lot of people to get into the book. So then when the book um was thrown around Hollywood, a few scriptwriters were picked up. And they rewrote and threw in a load of scenes that aren't even in the book. But a lot of the dialogue sticks to what's in. What's in the thing, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the scene mightn't be the same, but bits of the dialogue are from scenes in the book. And, and that's, that's one of them. Uh, that's one of them. And that's Johnny Murphy. That's Johnny Joey Murphy. The so he was one of the few bona fide direct, or actors. Actors. In it, yeah. Who wasn't a musician. Yes, who wasn't a musician. So yeah, we, everybody should, else we should get played. that straight as well. Yeah. Everybody in this could play the instrument that they were playing. Yeah. And they were hired not as an actor. They were hired as a musician. Mm-hmm. And they just had to look the part. 
Mm. So they didn't have to actually have any art or any sort of acting experience per se. No. But they had to learn the songs back to front, like 70 plus songs, mm-hmm. and then be able to play them badly first and then be able to have them nailed down. Bang down, yeah. And Parker has said in the film, and I didn't even fucking know this, there's 68 different music cues in the film and 52 different songs. And that's, and you think they learned about 70 to 100? Pretty much nearly all of them got into the film, like. So, Mad. like, everyone in the film is a musician apart from him. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Brona Gallagher and stuff, who was an actor and is an actor, she could sing as well. Yeah. So that well, that's well. Maybe we'll do that. Then we'll we'll go through the rest of because we've now got to the point where where they have guitar, bass, sax, and trumpet sorted. Mm-hmm. So they, before we do that, briefly, did you know who they wanted for Joey the Lips? No, Van Morrison. Oh, I did see something about that, and and he turned it. He down turned it down, but he offered they had, their had songs. a bad meeting. They oh, had nice. like a, like everything. Have you ever heard of people meeting Van Morrison? And having a good meeting? It yeah. goes pearly. <laughs> yeah. Really quick. Yeah. Um, and apparently it was along the lines of, can you not make it about me, Van Morrison? Oh, yeah. No, he's got that American Belfast accent. Uh-huh. And Parker was like, no, we need you to play this 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 character. And they pretty much had the script nailed then. It was, uh-huh. they even had all the editions done from Dublin. And he wanted to be more of a centerpiece. Of course. Even though he was just the guy playing the saxophone. Or he was the guy playing the trumpet, trumpet. sorry. Uh, so they turned it down. They were like, listen, we're just really big fans anyway. So no harm, no foul. We asked. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you can still use my music. The next person they asked was Rory Gallagher. I seen as well. Gallagher, uh, which would have been... I don't even know what to do with that. How could you have sat on the stage and been Glenn Hansard playing I know, and looking over at Rory, Rory Gallagher, Gallagher staring the trumpet. at you, <laughs> pretending to play the trumpet? And you're like... Can you not get that fucker? Can we swap places there? Outspan, money over here. Uh, so the rest I know, could you imagine? Yeah, it's Rory Gallagher, <laughs> which was, it's crazy to think. I mean, yeah. what could have been? I think Rory Gallagher's one, they actually were about to audition him, but uh, this guy turned up, Murphy, and he blew it out of the park, obviously. Yeah. He's a professional actor. Well, that's it. So they, uh, Jimmy then uh, tries to go on and, and uh, recruit then backing singers because... Uh, it, it was also uh, a reason Roddy Doyle talked about uh, the reason he picked Soul was because if it had been any other type of music, you were just you were very limited to three, four, five characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Soul gave you that dynamic of ultimately a ten piece mm-hmm. that comes with brass section, and then it also adds a female dynamic into it by having backing singers. Um, so that that's what makes it all work so well. There's so many different personalities within the band. But the three uh, backing singers, so Jimmy approaches his old friend Bernie, Bernie. who works in the chippy, selling bags of just 50p. 50p, man. Still. 50p. That was the first thing me and Karen both said at the same time when we were watching the film during the week. 50p. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know that old, uh, remember? Mind, hey? Mind at 50p. Um, so yes, he asks uh, Bernie, but more importantly, he wants um, her to ask Amelda Quirk. Now... Easy. <clears throat> Amelda Quirk was. It's cold out there, Connor. Every Irish boy's. Uh, Definitely, she was. She was. Absolutely. Uh, every young Irish boy that watched Clipments was mad about Amelda Quirk. Yeah. Played. We heard the swearing first. Yeah. Remembered it. Second time you watched it, you remember Amelda. About till the 18th time. And then you started listening to music. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, after you stop pausing it, um, Imelda Quirk played by Angeline Ball. Was that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Bernie played by Bronan Gallagher, as we mentioned. And then we have Natalie. Um, Natalie <coughs> is the third wagon singer who <coughs> basically. She's Maria Doyle. Maria Doyle, who is basically uh, Maria Doyle Kennedy, actually. She's married one oh, of that's right. Yes. Um, but who, she's a very successful singer. Yeah. But she, uh, Bernie basically volunteers her for it. Yes, because she uh, can then, sing as well. But then Jimmy still goes, <laughs> yeah, 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 but, but make sure you bring Imelda. Yeah. And then the, I love the cutaway of just, and obviously it must have been uh, ADR, you know, the additional dialogue yes, yes, recording, because yes. you can see Bernie's back mm-hmm. to the chip pan, and all you can hear is, what the fuck do you want Imelda Cork for? And I'm with fucking tits and arse anyway. <laughs> her friend? <laughs> her friend. <laughs> oh, <woman>. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then, and finally then, um, we get the, uh, not finally, but we get to the piano player then who happens to be a medical student who doesn't fit with the wrestling no, at all. He's famous. one of the, the posh boys. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's not working class like the wrestling, but no. he can play piano like nobody else. So they need a final uh, a singer. And uh, previously at the, the wedding where... Uh, the band was initially f- first thought of. Uh, it first formed, and it's where the we deco. first meet Imelda, and we first see the 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 star of the show, the Deco. So Deco is uh, basically a bus conductor in Dublin who, mm-hmm. at this wedding, was steaming drunk and was up <laughs> singing away to what is the song? It's the Pretenders, isn't it? Yes, the Pretend uh, Proclaimers. Proclaimers, fucking pretenders. Oh, pretenders. So yeah, singing the Proclaimers, uh, full drunk, and so of course Jimmy then goes and approaches him a, a week or two later. And he letter from America. Letter from America. He doesn't even remember <laughs> singing no. when he was that drunk. He's singing at the side of the stage <laughs> with the pints, and then he's on stage. And when the band take a break, he goes up and He's up on along. stage, <laughs> singing away. Uh, Very well as well. Yeah, but again, right away, you can tell he's a dickhead. Oh, fucking An knob. absolute prick. And uh, played very well by Mr. Andrew Strong, mm-hmm. who I think, from what I can gather, wasn't the initial. He was there as a Dublin no. muso, basically a guy who was sort no. of helping with. His, uh, Rob Strong was a vocal coach on the film, and he brought his son, and Andrew was there, and he heard, Alan Parker heard him sing Mustang Sally. Yeah, that's what it was. It was, but it wasn't actually. No, yeah, no, he, he wasn't officially there. No, as an he, addition, he, yeah. he wasn't auditioning. Like, yeah. but he had. Um, he was sixteen. Mm-hmm. Looks so about forty right now. He looks about forty, but it was eighteen there. <laughs> He's eighteen. He was the sixteen film, yeah. when they first. And again, yeah, no acting experience. No. So background: Andrew Strong. So here's Rob Strong's son, mm-hmm. and uh, Rob Strong being. Um, Probably one of the hardest working musicians. I mean, he's been about for decades. He's mm-hmm. constantly on the go, Played constantly playing. Every show band in the country. Yeah, and uh, still going. He was no one not that long ago. Well, it, and, and, and if you look at, at Andrew Strong's Wikipedia page, he grew up in Oma. Yeah, it's it's a very strange... I I can't figure out the timeline of when he... He's born in Dublin, raised in Oma, but he went back to Dublin and still has the thickest Dublin accent. Yeah, and he also has a half-sister in Hunter's Crescent, um, or did have. Wait a minute. Really? Yeah, and... Um, I know there's a lot of links to Oma links in this Oma film, with, yeah, yeah. but I didn't realise that there was... And I also know a few Oma musicians who were also in the running for playing in the band. What? Find that out, yeah. Um, it just happened to be that if you were part of the music scene at all in Ireland, right. they were calling everybody and anybody to come in. 
but yeah, so a lot of connections with with Oma with Andy mm-hmm. Strong, but I mean that voice. Uh, it's, it's sensational. His father's voice is unreal as well. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I would I'm going to say Andrew's is better now, obviously, and or mm-hmm. then because uh, Rob's a lot older. Mm-hmm. But uh, Andrew Strong provided serious levels of of gravel and vocal to that. Yeah, to that fellow. Uh, he makes the the soundtrack and he makes the sort of mm-hmm. the, the the acting's not great, but like no, as you say, none of them are actors. You no, know, most of them aren't actors, or I should say. And uh, so it's it's really went down to the point where the the soundtrack has become nearly as famous as the film. I think the soundtrack made more money in the film. Yeah, it was in the top like. <laughs> they released a volume two of it. Yeah, it, it didn't do as well, obviously, but yeah. it, it, the soundtrack. That's the one thing I remember mo- most about the film. Sorry, the film's release was every parent had that soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. It was in right. every house every in house. Ireland. Like, yeah, and it was a, a friend of mine from school. I, don't, I haven't seen him in fucking twenty five years. I don't even know he's still living. But his father, they were going out and they had a babysitter coming around for us. I was like. Had to be 10? 10 or 11, really, yeah. and it was on all the time. Mm-hmm. And we were like, just leave it on, yeah. And he just let it play. And we were sitting listening to it constantly. Like, and that's what I love about the fact that Roddy Doyle decided to go with soul music. Oh, yeah, is it what a fucking education to give an entire country. Uh, it would, you know, I, I, on top if you weren't a musician and you weren't into. Well, forget about that. Just think of being a ten or eleven year old. Ah, could easy, the, this this yeah. could easily have been about country yeah, music, absolutely. But instead, you were hearing about Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett. You mm. know what I mean? And people that you never would have heard anything else. Mm. Um, I can't think of any other way we would have found that out. But pre- don't forget, pre-internet. We, we weren't meant Ir- to be watching it in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> but even <laughs> for the adults, thing. even for the fucking adults, ah, you know, there's there a lot of lot of stuff there. And again, because um, we should point out, obviously, these are cover songs, so the equipment are doing. Classic uh, soul hits from the sort of early sixties, um, covering like Otis Redding and Wilson Pickett, and um, especially especially Otis Redding, there's a lot of stuff yeah. covered by him. Uh, Mustang Sally became then the sort of most famous song out of the yeah, like a, that's fair. The the one that got retread uh, that and the Midnight Hour, I think, were the two, and mm-hmm. they do a great rendition of Try a Little Tenderness. I remember I remember Try a Little Tenderness more than the others, but then as I grew up, yeah. I've seen any time they'd show greatest soundtrack things on what used to be MTV or whatever, they would have Mustang Sally as the song played. Hmm. I always thought they were going to do Try a Little Tenderness, but... Yeah, it's a weird one, I don't know. But, I mean, it's an extraordinary performance, too. It's at a point in the film where you're like, yeah, everybody breathe. Uh, because it's uh, the Try a Little Tenderness sort of is the penultimate sort of track mm-hmm. um, on of the band's... Uh, coming to the end of their journey mm-hmm. um but the early parts of it you know we still that's some of the funniest parts are uh trying to get the band together yeah trying to get them trying to get they've nothing they're absolutely piss poor broke um they've no equipment so jimmy has to go to a couple of dodgy boys knee breakers knee breakers with rabbits uh-huh. uh me ponies and I had to put the motor on me, kept eating me bonies. <laughs> he gets into debt with them just to get the band going. Um, they find a drummer. They find a drummer. They uh, pawn some stuff to get his drum kit. He's yeah. in. Um, basically, this is all building up to a practice that they have. It's sort of shambolic, but like I said before, 
the practices. It was a very unique way of recording uh, people playing music. Mm-hmm. Because what they did is they played the recording of them actually playing it from before. Mm-hmm. Really loud through speakers. Yeah. So they filmed, instead of it being what normally is, is people miming. Yeah. And acting to what somebody else has sung. Mm-hmm. Notoriously in films, not everybody's singing. Oh, singing. Yeah, nobody's so, not, yeah. But because they actually sang it, Parker wanted it to feel a wee bit more real. So in any of the musical scenes, the vocalists are all actually singing. Yeah, you can see that clearly. And it's yeah. actually their vocal take from that take. Mm-hmm. But the musicians aren't. No. It's a per take or later on when they became a bit better as a band, it's a take where they nailed the song. Yeah. But when the, the practice scenes are happening above a pool hall, <laughs> which is classic, yeah. they um they inadvertently are playing really loudly a per take of the band practicing. Really loud, so then it's, I don't know how they isolated the vocal. But that's that, where that's but where the genius is in that because yeah. it does sound <laughs> like a practice. It sounds like a practice. It really sounds like a practice because yeah. people are speeding up, <clears throat> people mm-hmm. are forgetting their cue, people yeah. are mishitting the drums. It, it, you can hear it all. Like yeah, and uh, it takes a lot of work to do that. Yeah. If you are a musician who can play it, yeah. it's hard to mess it up intentionally. Yeah. Um, so the band get together and like they say, Rome wasn't built in a day, but. Jimmy is a wee bit despondent, thinking this was shit, but Joey the Lips says, listen, that boy can sing. Yeah, so which build around him. Build around him. Um, the problem being him is Deco, who is a ball bag. Who is a ball bag. Of the highest order. <coughs> and he's constantly flirting with girls, and he's constantly being a tutor <coughs> with the rest of the band. I wouldn't even say flirting, he's just, he's being a He's leching. Like, like, uh, he's just being a latch on them. Um, and... We'll, we'll we'll talk about the girls now. The girls then are more than fit for him. Yes. Um. And I've talked about this before. I think we talked about it somewhere else. But the, the three girls in the commitments that they're very uh, nowadays you would see them no problem. The likes of bridesmaids and things like that you would see oh, of that. Course. But in nineteen eighty one, they were a rarity to have such. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you call them? Acerbic fucking responses and so sarcastic and so well, realistic. on the ball. Uh-huh. But basically for us, as that's Irish people, we were going, that's just, that's the woman we know. That's my cousin. <laughs> that's, that's what she's doing. <laughs> like. When I so, land around the house on Sunday and go, well, how's feeling? It's like, fuck off out of the house, will you? But it's not until you get to like, especially the last five years, um, where you sort of see the whole push for um, more females and films and more stronger, realistic roles. You're going, we had that. Years ago, well, yeah. There's no need there's to no, don't no. don't push the envelope on that because it's it's there. You yeah. just it has to be subtle. But like no. some of their comebacks were fucking brilliant. Like <clears throat> to be absolutely fair, I always knew that, but it was subconscious because, like I said, the favorite scenes from when you're a kid take over and the music mm. itself takes over and all that jazz. But until you pointed it out during the week, I went, "Fuck it, that's true. Actually, it's very, it's a female or like the the, the females run this film." Mm. From minute There's, one, mommy, don't get me wrong. Sisters. It's nineteen ninety one. They're still like stereotypes. Men are still being fucking, you know, nah, letting at them. Letting coming them but but they are more than fit for them. Whereas mm-hmm. any other film might have put sort of or book, I should say, Roddy Doyle, whatever. They would have put maybe the females in a sort of vulnerable capacity. There's no fucking vulnerability with these. No, no, no. They're doing no. what they want. Yeah. Um, and what it did then, it sort of brought that when they finally uh, get their first gig. Their first ever gig is in uh, a church hall. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even before that, just right before that, before they practice, they're 
they're all meeting in a wee shed. Yeah, that's and the, right. The boys are all meeting in the shed, <laughs> and they know nothing about the female backing vocalists. I don't know, this is Jimmy's little surprise for the boys. So yeah. do you, do we have an audio? I think we do actually. Um, <coughs> and so yes, the boys are all having this boring conversation. What they're going to be called? They're, it's being announced that they're 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 going to name them the commitments. Yeah, and we're going to play Soul Dublin Soul blah blah blah. And, and they're in the middle of it, and they're still discussing um, the the name of the band. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, something appears. Yeah. Well, I still like a flock of budgies. Fuck me! Oh, oh. I just seen the Mel the Quirk's ass coming down on the... Oh. Yeah! Don't judge us. 1991. Lads, you're looking at the commitment it's Commitment tits, you mean. Uh, Brilliant management, brother rabbit. Will they be dressed in black? <laughs> <laughs> Dirty joy. What are you bleeding looking at? <laughs> just, See, yeah, that just sounds that like point. my cousin there. Yeah. Um, just when you think the boys are being the thing and the girls just put them in their fucking place. But I love the shot, especially Hanser's face. Because she's so vicious, going, what are you bleeding long at? And they're all like, oh, so oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so this is the band now have completely formed. We've got the full 10. And uh, <coughs> again, most, apart from Joey, most of them aren't really soul aficionados. Um, no. They don't know much about it. Jimmy is the one that sells it to them. Um, talks about uh, it's it's the working class music. It's the... Uh, it's the rhythm of the factories, mm-hmm. which is kind of, you know, if you think of the soul music where it originated from, that sort of Detroit scene. Well, it, um, it, it, it really was is, the factories, yeah. It was a lot of the stuff. And um, Motown, baby. Motown. But we, we these songs are the songs that sort of are uh, from the successful soul artists, like Otis Redding. But there's so much, if we talk about um, Manchester and Liverpool, was the Northern Soul yeah. thing, which was again was Detroit, but it was just the ones that didn't make it. Yeah, um, which so were all ninety percent class, all amazing tracks. Mm-hmm. So there's st- there's a lot in that in that soul genre that has really um, so much potential. These ones picked out the best, obviously the best. Yeah, well, around. you'd have to, but I mean, I know that the the a few of the guys go on like a commitments stars of the commitments tour. Yeah, and they don't just play the songs from the film; they play other fillers you know yeah you would have to yeah because it's, there's so many about it at that time mm-hmm. um and i'm sure had they done a volume three there would have been loads more that they would have picked out of that sort of thing of the soundtrack wise uh the, but it is the, the 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 glaringly obvious thing is we're in dublin and uh we're pretty white yeah the because this is i mean predominantly if not 100 percent black artists uh, yeah i heard soul music I heard a guy, and this was in the last 10 years, there was a, one of them British comedy shows, one of the panel shows, you know? Uh-huh. And um, I can't remember his name. He played here in Oma, the African-American guy, comedian, American. Oh, Red D, Reggie D, Reggie, Him. Reginald D Hunter. And it was a British show. Uh-huh. And he just out of the blue said something about the Irish claiming themselves to be the blacks of Europe. <laughs> and he had a real problem with it like a real like it was something that was serious that we talked about <laughs> it's from a film man <laughs> we we don't talk about that no <laughs> i've never said that about myself once no i just thought it was a funny quip in a film yeah. from dublin like that's what it was yeah 
Uh, well, well, we'll play that clip actually. So you can hear it now where. Uh, <coughs> yeah, for reference. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the, Jimmy has gathered a few of them together because his younger sister, um, Andrea Corr, works in the local extravision. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just an extravision. Mm-hmm. Having younger people, that's where you used to rent uh, movies. Um, so they're in the back of the extravision, and Jimmy Rabbit is trying to educate them, showing them clips of uh, soul singers. And it happens to be uh, James Brown is on at this particular time. And uh, then I think it's Dean asks the uh, yeah. sort of pertinent question. That's what you've got to measure up to, lads. Do you not think, uh... What? Well, like, maybe we're a little white for that kind of thing. Do you not get it, lads? The Irish are the blacks of Europe. And Dubliners are the blacks of Ireland. And the Northside Dubliners are the blacks of Dublin. So say it once, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. <laughs> but all the boys are like, like <laughs> what? <laughs> and it's, it's later on whenever uh, the the there's like a another montage scene kind of thing where the shows the they're all individually practicing and rehearsing and they're trying their best. Which is a brilliant montage. Yeah, as well. it's great. They're all and it's too. Um, Nowhere to run. Nowhere to run. Yeah, by originally Martha and the Vandellas, and so you've got them all doing the gears right in the street, and they're practicing their moves. And um, Derek's in the meat factory, is freezing his hands yep. in the base, and Billy's shooing horses and drumming yeah. and all the rest. But Dean's out in the middle of fucking nowhere playing the sax, mm-hmm. and these bunch of young lads come up that wouldn't have looked out of place from Strathroy, nineteen ninety two. No, perfect haircuts, too, man. The French, <laughs> the French. sides of the French. Uh, if you do nothing. Else, just watch the whole film just to see, see that. the hairstyle. Oh. So, uh, but the faces on them when Dean decides to stop playing the saxophone and turns to them and says, "I'm black and I'm proud." <laughs> 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 I uh, just there's no way of describing that Wayne's face. That Wayne's face you know with that, that fringe. <laughs> has never acted. Didn't know what the camera in front of him was, but the boy says to them, "Just react to what he said," <laughs> and it's perfect. Uh, yeah, so they're 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 honing their craft within the film, and they're getting better. And uh, you can see the band starting to really shape up. They've got a couple of gigs coming up. Um, they go to get their photograph taken for the poster, but unfortunately, Billy Moon. Yep, Billy can't take Billy uh, can't take Deco Deco anymore. Deco is being too much of a knob. But Billy Billy turns up in his wee van, tells him he's not there anymore. They tell him they don't fucking need him. They'll find another drummer. Yeah. And they do. And they do. And what a drummer. Uh, in the scene where they're performing for the first time, uh, which is shambolic enough for us not to explain it to you too much, you just have to watch it. Yeah, especially St. Joseph's Hall. It's St. Joseph's Hall. <laughs> in Oma here, and a uh, big church hall, and they've... Everything uh, done wrong. Everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, everybody's over watching it, and Jimmy's dials across the road in the pub, having pints, and then he gets tired that it's good, and he comes along. <laughs> I love calling me in this, because he's just like... Sitting bopping away in the background Aye, and then <laughs> until Jimmy Robert Jr. sees him, then he stops. Aye, but it's uh, <laughs> in that film from the very start, you're informed that there's a guy they know who's a bit of a psychopath who's yeah. doing the door. Yeah, and this is Mecca Walsh. Mecca Wallace. Wallace? Is mm-hmm. that was Walsh? No, Mecca Wallace. Is it really Wallace? Wallace, yeah. You're full of shit. Oh, no, don't fucking let us down here, son. It is Mecca Wallace. I thought it was Walsh. Mm. Okay, I'm here. Uh yeah, so Micah Wallace. 
He's now Walsh. Uh, yeah, so he's he is he's he's been hired to do the door. He's yeah. been hired to take the money uh, at this uh, and do the bouncing because bouncing at the church hall yeah, uh, church concert that's happening like at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon because uh, the bingo callers off sick. He's no, he's bingo callers can in for an operation, so there's a free date according to the priest. So I mean, you're talking at the basic level of starting, and uh, but again, like the rehearsal. Um, it is a failure of a show ultimately, but there are parts where they're really properly cooking, mm-hmm. and uh, you can really see potential in them. And the audience are loving them until there's a bit of a an yeah. electrical fault. Essentially, Deco fucking <laughs> tries his best to torpedo the thing from the start. Like, yeah, oh, he is. You can tell, like from that first performance, Deco's going to be the one that's going to destroy yeah. the thing because, um, yeah, he's just he's egotistical and flapping his arms out and tossing the gears to one side and do you like me group and all that sort of stuff and. Uh, it sort of plants a seed for what's going to happen and, and, and as to come. Uh, as they go on, then they they, uh, they get the bigger venues. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joey's playing a bit of a dog now in the middle of it all. Joey, uh, the lips. Uh, sort of intermittently in scenes in the film, you notice that Joey is waking his way around the girls. Uh, one by one. So that obviously is going to cause tension. It um, is. But you're, the whole time you're thinking he won't be doing that to Armelda because Armelda's engaged and yeah, she's she's with a very straight guy who's got a good job and uh yeah. and jesus oh doesn't he come in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but anyway love length <laughs> joy the lips it makes you do it that does make you question why they call him the lips i know of it. um because he loves them but because he's, he's good on the the trumpet oh the trumpet yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> So yes, jo- Joey is... So yeah, Joey makes his way around all of them. Joey's making his way around all three. Uh, and they are getting bigger gigs, and they're getting different pub locations, and the crowd are growing for them. Yeah. And it's starting to build. But they get to a big one, uh, which is a roller disco. <laughs> Again. There you go. Uh, nothing but 1981, when you mm-hmm. have uh, a lot of people rollerblading around the dance floor. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the thugs that Jimmy yes. gets the uh, equipment off are wanting their money. Jimmy's only just starting to get paid for the band, so he's only just got his first pay pack in his hand. And these boys come, and in the middle of, famously, Chain of Fools, the song, um, Jimmy gets roughed up by these thugs. For the first pay packet he's ever got he's for ever the got band. He's ever got for the band, yeah. And, and Mika Wallace noticed oh, I, that Mick. he gets paid. Yeah. So oh, he Mick, knows he's he, got money. Mick could see it from the back. Mick could yeah. see it when he's sitting on the drums and he, <laughs> he's gone. So then he sees Jimmy getting roughed up and that's it. He just drops everything and runs like fuck and just nuts the guy and yeah. gets the money back. Comes back on stage covered in blood and starts to pick up again and that's when Jimmy then comes on and does his yeah, the introduction of introduction. the band. And <coughs> the, the, pun, the, the final one being the greatest introduction and the greatest name. Uh, so I'm trying to think of all the names we have Joey the Lips Fagan we have Dean Mr. Nipple Fay we have Outspan Fender Bender Foster (laughs) we have Derek Meatman Scully um, because he worked in the meat factory because he worked in the meat factory Stephen Steel Surgeons or Steel Soul Surgeon Clifford and on the piano and then Deco D. Trump Cuff what is that reference? I don't know what the D. Trump's about Deco D. Trump cuff, and then Micah, don't fuck with me, Wallace. 
<laughs> he's still got the blood hanging on his head. He's still and blood. then goes in with the fill, yeah. leading into the finish of Chain of Fools. <laughs> chain, chain, chain. <laughs> it's almost like it's film. How did you remember all of him? I have, I yeah, I have a wee bit of a... Uh, really? Yeah. Fucking, I, I, I was going... I know that. I fuck. thought it was only a moment when you were going to bury me. Right, so what's next? <laughs> uh, nah, what, I, Michael Walsh? Sadly, I watched that film too many times. Fuck. So many times I could, yeah, I could reenact every scene, which I think everybody thought I was going to do last year. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting to that. Um, but yeah, so we, we uh, <laughs> the band then are fully fledged. They're, they're really yep. in their flow. They're really getting it. They're starting to get a bit of uh, Dublin press interest mm-hmm. um, a couple of music reviews are starting to shine a light on them uh, Wilson Pickett uh, is going to appear in Dublin at the Olympia and, yeah uh, they, they they say that Joey the Lips did you say you were playing you played with Wilson Pickett before and he's like of course it and then they were like well he's playing any chance of backstage passes because he's playing mm-hmm. so there's a link there that they're trying to get possibly get Wilson Pickett to come to the gig yeah they have a big gig in Gallagher's Bar in Dublin. And, uh, big gig. Big, massive gig. Uh, and, according to Joey Ellipse, Wilson Pickett had said he is going to come along and jam with them. Also, I fucking I completely forgot to. Remember um, in our Stone Roses episode? Yes, uh-huh. where I was talking about meeting Manny uh-huh. outside the SFX in Dublin. Uh-huh. Remember when it shows the two girls walking out of the factory, what looked like a factory, but there's like a big chapel behind them? Uh-huh. That's there. Ah. That's the St. Francis Xavier. There you are, boy. I, I was looking at it going, I've been, <laughs> hello, what the fuck? And that takes us full circle. There you go. Um, Wrap it up. <laughs> but, it, you know, so they, they, they've they've taken it then, and but the tensions are building within, because you've got... Egos uh, are growing, yeah. It starts, uh, starting to start a wee bit with Dean. Mm-hmm. Dean, um, uh, the saxophone player, is an actual saxophone player in real life, but yeah. also in the thing, he wants to get better and stuff. So he, in the middle of one of the songs, he just does a few wee sort of wee riffs and a few yeah, wee sort wee of jazzy jazz away. And that's the problem then. So then we get, and this was my uh, big music education in this film, I, you know what I mean? So when it's explained to Dean then why he shouldn't be doing what he's doing with the saxophone, um, as Joey Lips explains to him, his soul music is the, bra- the the horns are part of the of the song. They're not a solo. They're not a standalone. Mm. It has, uh, soul solos have corners. Yeah, what you were doing was spiraling, mm-hmm. and that's the notes and uh, the way the notes are being played. And he goes, "That's jazz." And I was like, "Ah, oh, right." You know, when you're ten or eleven, you're listening to this, and you're going, "Oh, oh yeah. right, okay, that makes sense." Freeform, boom scatting, um, yeah. So and then you're also informed by Jimmy Rabbit Jr. that uh, jazz is musical wanking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which a lot of it is. <laughs> a lot of it is. And we move sort of to the sort of finale as such, the, the yeah. big gig. And it's it's probably where they have the most stage time, mm-hmm. um, the most stage time in the film recorded. Mm-hmm. Nearly three full tracks. Mm-hmm. So you're talking Midnight Hour, Try a little tenderness, and I think Mustang Sally's in the yep. middle of that. So you've got those three tracks going on, and all the while, uh, Jimmy is waiting for the arrival of Wilson Pickett because he's been told he's been told by Joey that so he's coming. Yeah. Um. So they get to the interval, they get to the break, and they're somewhere they're going to come on for an encore, and they're all fighting. They're all fighting. Yeah. So the women are fighting over Joey. Deco's fighting because his uh, 
he has to fucking dry himself with a tea towel, not a, an actual towel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mecca just wants to fucking kill Deco. Um, Dean is Charlie Parker at this stage. He's mm-hmm. fucking changed the jazz haircut, the sunglasses, the pinstripe suit, everything. Yes. Uh, Outspan and the boys don't want to wear their suits. Just, who wants to wear fucking monkey suits on yep. stage? So it's just falling apart in front of them. And to the point that they're, they're, they're walking out onto the stage cursing and roaring each other and then they get on stage and do a fucking unbelievable rendition of Midnight Air. Yeah. So, and I think that's what I love from the day, very first time I've seen the film and I think people still do too, is that they were amazing. Yeah, they were, they were brilliant by But it just couldn't work. Mm-hmm. It just could not work. On stage, amazing, but off stage. And I think that Jesus, we know throughout rock and roll history. Oh, don't shit. Rock and roll history? Jesus, we could talk all John day. Street, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you can't work with that fucker here, wait. Look at his hair. Oh, fuck. Uh, yeah, so yeah. He's fortunated, sir. I've heard that before. You can't work with that fucker. I'm fortunated. <laughs> kind of a best pair of shorts, fortunated. What? <laughs> um, so yeah, but I mean, so the, the, the fractures were just... He couldn't repair them. They were too deep. And uh, <coughs> it got physical. It got to the point where... It got physical. They, 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 they literally started beating shade to each other. They started um, beating shade to each other. Don't forget, all in the process list as well, Jimmy's waiting for the press. He's waiting for Wilson Pickett. But he's getting courted by a record company. That's right. Sean Walsh. Sean Hughes. Or Sean Hughes, sorry. Well, I'm at it again, Walsh. Yeah, with a Walsh. What the fuck is me with Walsh? You love a bit of Walsh, sir. What's his name, Walsh? Not Dave. <laughs> close so he's like they're like it's finished pretty much and they're like waiting for still waiting for wilson pickett still waiting for mm-hmm. and what transpires is that uh mika is putting out his drum kit out to the back alley to get mm-hmm. the, all their gear home and him and deco end up having a bathroom match oh and mika bits of clean bits of shade him because he was trying to get autographs yeah and um or he was being asked for autographs sorry uh, and that's where, like, the record company guy and yeah, they're watching, appear, yeah, and, that's, and then that's they pretty have much to, he gets called upstairs and to see the rest of the band literally in a melee in the middle of yeah. the floor. And uh, yeah, Jimmy's words were "fuck you, fuck the ladies," and that was him. He was away. Mm-hmm. Um, now it was, and that's what I loved about the just the film in general and just the way the uh, the whole arc comes to an end. You know, it obviously would be predictable to go with the. Successful fucking through the roof fame and all the rest. It'd but be easy. Yeah. It'd be an easier out than this out. It, that's what makes the film, I think, so stand the test of time, is that it just, it doesn't go for the saccharine sort of sweet ending. No. It doesn't go for that. It just, because the book didn't. The book was all no. about, the music may be brilliant, but the people couldn't get together and it's going to be a failure and it didn't work and blah, blah. But there were glimmers of absolute genius in it. Mm-hmm. Uh and the sort of the final gut punch, the final gut punch, which just is oh, and it is a gut punch. Like it really is. You're because just like, oh, if that had th- a happen through the whole thing, even though um, Joey the Lips has been talking and you know describing all the people he's played with and all the famous scenarios mm-hmm. he's been involved in, even though there's a point where we go to his house quite a few times and we see on an album that he has played with Otis Redding and he mm-hmm. had. We're still doubting every yeah. word that comes out of his mouth. And yeah. we that's over the band. The rest that's of the band. Yeah. But so you the think he's just too, been yeah. in this for a bit of poontang? Like. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, yeah, so Jimmy's walking away after falling out with Joey. 
and a limousine pulls up and asks for directions to Gallagher's. Yeah. And we'll just leave it at that. If you haven't seen it, yeah. um, we'll not do anything. But yeah, it was your, I remember watching it. Oh, just fucking half an hour earlier. No way, boy. That still they'll be on tour. You're, you're so vested. I know. You think I know they're a real bad guy. They'd be fucking oh, things would have went well. For they them. were good too, mommy, aren't they? Why are you watching this, mommy? Yeah, so yeah. that takes us to what year? Me and you playing in a soul band? Yes. So, well, actually, I was in the soul band for. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Hang <laughs> oh, on! I gotta get myself oh, situated is, right here. This is good. Oh, this is payback. So, oh fuck. A little bit of history of what went on here. I'm going to scratch my ear while you... Yeah, before I bust it. Rep the and, uh, <laughs> so there was a soul band set up in uh, the CBS, mm-hmm. between the CBS and the Loretto Convent here in Oma. And uh, I was the drummer of the soul band. What, year? 97, are we? You'd have been talking, uh, yeah, 97. 97 would have been the one, yeah, because... Um, well, I just came over from... No, well, we were going before you came over, so oh, I should right, point okay. that out. Okay. So what happened was uh, I was the drummer for the soul band. Now, I am using the term drummer very loosely. I sat behind the drums at times <coughs> and watched somebody else give me the time. Oh and <laughs> But anyway, I was the drummer. But the problem was, um, it, because it was a CBS venture, I was the only drummer in. So it wasn't a case of like they had the best drummer. It was just a case of I was the only drummer. Okay. And then another drummer arrived from mm. St. Pat's mm. called Ronan Walsh. Or sorry, Ronan Wallace. <laughs> well, fuck, I don't even know what I'm lying about anymore. So, yes, uh, big Ronnie landed in. And I'm going to be honest with you, like, as soon as you moved over from St. Pat's CBS, I knew Really? Oh, I knew. Because, number one, I wasn't good. I knew I wasn't good. But, we but had, then I also knew that you were that good. And I thought, well... We had played before in gigs, like in the Royal Arms and stuff. Yeah, we played in bands. We, we yeah, yeah. different bands. So I had seen you in action, so I knew what played. the fuck you could do. And that was... Uh, so I knew what was going to happen. So Old Keezy was relegated to backing vocals. Um, and I couldn't do that either. Because Harmony and me just don't go well together. You're being one hurting yourself. So, uh, yeah, I had to leave the band because they're running. But and there was no animosity <laughs> about it at all. Two pints, <laughs> two pints sorted. I think I was pretty much it. <coughs> I genuinely, no joking, I, I genuinely knew. Do you know, like, like I, I always felt out of my depth drumming, especially with, uh, uh, especially with the, with the band, uh, you know, because. I've said this to you before, I'm not good at keeping time. Okay. Right, which is obviously very important as a drummer. It's part of it. Um, but in recent years, and I'm so raging that I'm only finding this out now, in recent years I found out Dave Grohl can't keep time. No. So he had to have a click track for he Nevermind. Had, like he has, and I was like, even now see, live. you can fucking have a click, I can do that. Even with the Free Fighters, when he gets up and does his bit, like two or three songs, his in-ears have a click. Yeah. Going in the... Because he can't keep time. Because he can't keep time. He can drum, but he can't keep time. And that was... But then, for me, I was like, well, I can't keep time, so I can't drum. No, you You can't... You see, that was... I didn't realize you could do... So many weeks. So, um, but, like, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like, when you first... The first rehearsal, when you landed, like... Oh, Jesus. 
I don't. I, I, the only reason that I you wouldn't know anything because you were just asked. Well, it. No, it was but, because Sweeney was there. I uh, wouldn't have felt comfortable doing it. Only Kevin Sweeney was playing too. Yeah. Oh well. That was, yeah. Well, that always helps everything. <laughs> like literally, I knew nobody else there. That's right. You were new into the whole thing, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, but I mean, when he, whenever the soul band then had proper drums, <laughs> it sounded I, fucking I don't know amazingly. Know. Um, so, but yeah, Jeff Laird, big Jeff, uh, Jeff. On, on lead vocals. Um, to the erection who, section. The erection section and the Jeff Duke. Jeff Duke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think who else we had. Uh, Ronnie Hart. Ronan Hart on uh, trumpet. Mark McNally on trombone. Um, loads of boys. Loads of boys. What you it call changed so the, many times. Yeah, on the piano. Because Robbie came in, Robbie Collins came in. Oh, yeah. But there was a guy before, Paul, somebody? Paul? Somebody tagged me in like a Facebook a poster of us. Oh, that's... Way, way, way. That looked like... Uh, that's when we played for Momolum in Hillsborough Castle. Is that is that when we looked like we were in a snooker tournament? Yes. Yeah, that was... Out the back of the shop? Yeah, that was the Hillsborough Castle. And that's remember Mo Molan came out and joined us because she didn't want to be all the yes right <laughs> all the hoity toits inside. This was in Stormont. Do you remember what happened that night? It was Hillsborough Castle. It wasn't Stormont. Do you remember? No, do you remember? We no, do you remember we're in the Europa too? Oh yeah. Do you remember what happened? Oh. Remember I stuck my hand in the sink and stuck glass up through the center of my yes. hand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Drummer with no mm-hmm. hand. Yep. Yeah. A drummer with no hand. Uh, Handless drummer. <laughs> and then they came on the keys and I went, "Go fuck yourselves! I'm learning my harmonies." Hmm. <laughs> No, they didn't even come to me then. They were like, what? We'd, we'd rather do without a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> McNally can stomp his feet there. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then uh, Big Decky McKeever was a teacher and Big he played the, played the bass for us. Uh, Decky disappeared, went off to London and never came back. He was a decent man too. Good house again now. And uh, so yes, that was our soul band called... Uh, remember the name? Spendlove. Spendlove. Was the later iteration? Oh, do you remember the original one? What was the original one? I can't remember. Soul. Wank? No. Soul Purpose. Ooh. Was that what it was, really? Yeah, Soul Purpose. Fuck, I wouldn't have been in that band. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, I was so young and it was at school that was made to do it. Yeah, I was sort of, yeah. Soul Purpose. Uh, Soul Purpose? S O U L, obviously. Oh. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And, uh, but to the point where we got to. Yeah, you, we you were weren't, well, you weren't involved in this stage because I was drumming. So you definitely weren't, it must have been um, before you came across, we were asked to then record for Amnesty International for an I remember. I remember hearing about that. So we went to the Nerve Centre in Derry and recorded three songs, I think. And the, weir- the weird thing about it was <coughs> the drums were put into another room. Yeah. So I was in the recording studio with headphones on, drumming in another room while other people, but... Little did the sound engineers know that Big Decky, the bass player, would move his feet in time, so that would be give me the time. So, oh, so you had no time. I had no timekeeper. Oh, I had no way of. So they wouldn't even give you like a click. Didn't click in, in the studio. Like I'd, no, not even that. I didn't know it existed to ask for it. You're, I'm 16. Like I had no clue. It was just an. Had I didn't know I could ask for that, and if I had known that, so that was a long day. Um, mm, three songs. <laughs> Like and songs. the drums are meant to be done in like half an hour. <laughs> I was reading a thing oh, the other day. Sir. There's this fucking thrash metal album I love that's like an hour long and the drummer did it all in an hour and a half. And that's fast technical drumming and he nailed all of it and you're like, mm. Mm. No, no. A day for three songs. <laughs> and uh, 
but here you did it. Did it? Got the hey, how's that recording? I have no idea. Hopefully We're going to play it in the next hopefully podcast. Hopefully it never, ever sees the light of day. Um, oh, I have a few right there that's... Anyway, there's something coming up. Moving along. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, so it I came mean, full circle. Pretty much, We, we that's, that's how we started. That's how I started. That's mm. how I started pr- pretty much playing. I was playing in bands, but I was never with a professional band where everybody was on point, mm-hmm. practicing after school every day, sort of. Oh, it was mental at one point. Like and that. we played to, like, fucking audiences. Like, it was crazy. But here, that's how... Did you remember? We got to turn on the Christmas lights one year. That's right. We played at that. That's Ooh. right. That was... Because it was a wee bit chaotic here, especially after the bomb. It was a lot of weird... I think we were the first ones to ever play outdoors after the you know it was relatively you know you're talking august 98 obviously but i think mm-hmm. around about november time we did something if you remember outside the tech no no yeah so we had to do some fucking random thing. where so outside the tech problem being is my mother worked in the community and uh whenever there was anything coming up in the community she was uh-huh. like oh connor will get us something oh, so i don't know what i was which is still the same to this still day. the same this day. Uh, actually i'm roping oh, Jerry, don't, don't, don't get annoyed me hit me <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't know what we were doing, but we were doing it, and I remember the the vibe of feeling, is this right? Mm. You know, should we be doing? You know, that's how much of a, a a negative atmosphere there was around the town at the time. Uh, it was weird. And then it was, it was somebody came up to me. It was a, a relative of one of the the victims of the bomb. What came up to me and just thought it was the best thing ever. Said, "I'm so glad to see a bit of life with the town has been so." terrible to come into the town really blah, blah, yeah and i was like oh fuck right i didn't it was a sister of somebody had lost her, their brother in the bong and uh and i was like oh my god i never even thought about that i never thought about the sound of music in the town lifted the sort of mm. atmosphere so yeah um but again it was just some random thing we were involved in jesus so that's how we started then with the like a lot of bands then well obviously you went on then i i retired um i think at one point there was a gig in the top of the town one night and i there was four bands and i played well for them yeah it was just one of them times where there was no other drummer. No, but there, no were, there were drummers. There, was, there, but there was, was loads just of good drummers, but they were like not in that scene. Like no, there was, they there was older guys, day. or they were they were out playing somewhere else, or they yeah. were in Belfast. That, or that's the thing we should point out here. This was our school time. This is school so time. So it was always based around the people who were either a year above or a year below. Yeah, there was no other no like, no gap. There, there were still no, people who were yeah. doing it, but we had nobody from university, for instance, was down playing with it. You know, it was yeah. like you know, so. Um, but then we we sort of well, no, I did. I I I stopped. Not stop playing. I mean, what a uh, what a sang obviously with the choirs and mm-hmm. different things. And all. but I never really performed live then anymore. You sort of went on then to do. I was always um, I was always playing with someone, somebody at some and point. At some, then, yeah. But then I met up with the boys, and that was pretty much. Uh, yeah. So then you you ousted another drummer out of out of another band. Actually, it seems to be your sort of <laughs> fucking raison d'être, isn't it? It's like I didn't oust him. No, I'm just saying. No like, way I mean, in hell did I ask him. If just, I, if uh-huh. he still was available, like, he'd still be in that band. Just like you didn't oust me. Um, I oused you. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, they needed a drummer. <laughs> I definitely oused you. I didn't intentionally oust you because you were my friend. But nah. I walked in and went, "What do you want me to do?" Bang, bang, bang. And they were like, "You're in." And then you were just sitting standing, going, "What? What happened? You can sing, Connor, right? What? <laughs> do this line. Um, okay." And that's how you say, that's how you did it. Um, does anybody want tea? And uh, <laughs> so you stopped. So I stopped. I, I just uh, you were doing uh, the odd wee bit here and there. No, I didn't do anything really until uh, I, the, the the most I would ever well, do. You sang in places. I saw you singing at weddings. I saw you singing. Wait, I was upset. I was going to say the, the only thing I ever did was uh, drunken karaoke at the cellar bar. 
Okay. Um, a lot of Mustang Sally's were murdered down there. Um, I like your Mustang Sally. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, but uh, at that time, it was like a, it was a weird thing. But then uh, we had a gig with, um, I uh, first time singing with a band, lead singing with a band was in. Uh, we talked about this recently in the Clock Bar. Yes. Um, in the interval in between the slaggers playing, so myself singing Pinky Floyd on bass, Pinky's, uh, which I found out then was his first time ever playing live. What really? Uh huh. I didn't realize that. Okay. Um, uh, Pinky on bass, Nigel Morrison on guitar. Mm-hmm. I think it was Stark McCrory on drums. Okay. And uh, yeah, we that's oh, a ready bunch of bad. Eh? Now, uh, according to Mister Morrison, um, there is video footage of this. Um, Gig, which mm. uh huh, I don't know. Now, I, I have know. a connection between myself and Mr. Morrison that is on a work basis daily. Oh, fuck, I forgot about that. So oh. I can pretty much dig. Oh, shit, I forgot about how I'm working there. Yeah, so I can get Andy on this. No, uh, Morrison has been warned. Well, actually, I don't know if it's going to be as embarrassing for me, um, because like it's it's going to be dark, it's going to sound awful anyway in the clock bar, it doesn't matter, but. You could be amazing. You I don't know. I got them to sing like U2 one. You know oh. what I mean? Uh, exactly. Oh. So I think if you think of anything. Pinky Pinky playing Pinky playing U2 one. I think maybe it might be more embarrassing than me singing it. Just so get it out there. Get that thing out there. Get it out there. <laughs> Facebook, do your work. Yeah. Uh, do you know what Brain Shake? <coughs> Brain Shake get famous now. They want to show old videos. Pinky's going to be going, oh, fuck, I played U2. Yep. But. Uh yeah, so then I I that was the last time I ever sang in public. Apart from what um, year was that? Sorry, two thousand. Two thousand. Okay. So that was pr- fucking right. Better go then. Ah, uh, right. Better go. Um, apart from as you say, like, uh, like weddings or something like that. But it's always with family or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so I never did it uh, until last year. And how did that start? Because I don't know how that started. Because you never, I've never asked you. It was just like you're doing a gig. I read. I can't go. Fuck you. So how it happened was in 1997. Whoa, 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 whoa! Brent and Bradley said to me, "Jesus, Keezy, you're fucking, you're well good to sing a Mustang Sally. You should sing Andrew Strong songs." Mm-hmm. So then in 2018, um, some lap, I thought, you know what, Brenton, fucking, I might take you up on that. Holy. So from 97 to 2018 Sure what's that It's only 21 years uh, It takes a lot, long time Things settle in your head That just took a wee while For it to find a place Like me and Michael Wall <laughs> I'm not going at it He's Michael now And uh, <laughs> Michael Walsh And uh, so Yeah So I I, uh, I asked a few heads Would they be interested in it So we have a We have a Commitments Tribute Band Yep Almost best ever Commitments Tribute Band And um S- Tall claims there. It is. It's the only one. Oh, no. You'd have to go there, wouldn't you? Fucking bastards. In all fairness, I'm going to say it again. We are the best. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, for, for ever the fucking came out of Oma. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, so we did last year. We did Lola's last year and uh, went well. And um, It went really well. Yeah, it was good. And uh, very uh, weird, yeah. Very weird because of the reaction. Because mainly because I do the uh, part-time comedy. Uh, yeah, people you, you didn't don't get the same reaction. No, but people didn't know that I Oh, sing. that way? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant just in terms of crowd reaction, the songs. Oh, like the, oh they loved Oh, no. Well, the good thing about that is, yeah, we did a good job. But like we said at the start, for the commitments, even themselves, the songs are classics. 
uh-huh. the songs will always go well, no matter. They're, they're just great songs. Um, but no, the actual, uh, yeah, the actual putting the show on all that crack was relatively weird. Mm. <laughs> That's the only way I could describe it. Um, but yeah, we did we did a good enough job. So it's well, with thirty three songs on our set list, which okay. is mental. Because we do the sort of midsection of non commitments, um, about eight songs that we think probably would have been picked by the commitments of I mean because they're soul classics. How long is the set? How long was the set last year? Sorry, thirty. No, in songs. terms of in terms of time, time, uh, two hours. Just on so that's there's fuck all there in between that, like no, there was no stopping. I was straight through every song. Uh, that's uh, the only way to do it. And uh, yeah, this year we even talked about Ninja Bones, and now we're just going to play straight through because um, I actually thought I needed to order a Malta last year. Uh, it's um, it's tight going. Plus, you been hitting the pints, like I couldn't hit fuck all after that. I just don't, you know. I just me and fitness wouldn't be. Uh, Best of friends, you know, and me and um, fitness so, yeah. fell out of love many, many years ago. <laughs> and so, I, uh, yeah, I have to it's give like I, I give credit to the likes of Mr. Donnelly there and uh, and, uh, and uh, the Rockets. Who oh, man, he, that man's at hurling I and all this crack, know. and he's still, he's still fucked them, them like, and I I, you can tell why. Don't know how he does it, and he's um, running about like a lunatic, too. Yeah, I no, no, I'm used to standing still, holding a microphone in my hand for 20 minutes tops. And I'm done. No, and that's my work. But um, and, and to be fair, with all that experience now, and knowing what you know from last year, you decided to go ahead and we're doing it again this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So two weeks time. Actually, well. <laughs> Where, uh, when, how much? On Saturday night, Saturday the 28th of December. The 28th of December in yeah. Lola's, Lola's in the Silver Birch in Oma. Yeah. And so it's... Uh, it's another, yeah, another chance for us to come back. Yeah. We, we we actually, now in fairness, we have come back together for rehearsals and kind of like the commitments. Uh, we're beating shady. No, we're not being shady. Um, it's, it's sounding rougher because there was such a long gap. Of course. So we have made the decision that we'll not uh, leave such a long gap till next year. Good. Because we like to do it once a year. But And I will actually get to go to see one. You'll get to go see one. Um... So we might do we might do something in the middle of the year or something like that, but it's because it was weird when we came back there at the start of November. We were starting from scratch. Yeah, you were like learning them all again, and everybody's like, "How did we do?" It? And even though we had the charts and all, they're like, "What was that again?" And, and they're, they're not simple songs. Let, no. let me put they it. They sound way. simple, but they're really no, not. They're not simple. You think they're really See, simple? Soul songs have to be on the backbeat and yeah. playing. Certain, it's it's uh, it's tough music to play. And you can't you, you can bluff it. Yeah, but you know you're bluffing it. Yeah, and and I have to give to back to the film. We have to give credit to the players on the album because mm-hmm. even like a Hansard, now it's a uh, the rhythm guitar on that album is amazing. Yeah, he's really really mm-hmm. on the ball with it, and it's very pertinent in a lot of songs. It's the forefront, yeah. of and the and the snare on it as well, man. Mm-hmm. And you can explain that to me. How did they get it so piercing, like such a high pitched snare? How is uh, that? It, low on top, high on bottom. Explain that to me now. What you do is you tune the top of the snare till mm-hmm. it's low, so it sounds like boom, boom. Right. And then the bottom of the snare, which has the snare wire around it, uh-huh. it resonates higher, so you tighten the actual strings of the wire right. tight to the bottom of the snare. And, and it's it got this clear. nice ping from the That's low what end. That's it is, real ping in the But a album, nice low yeah. boom from the top. Right, okay. So when the mic picks it up, it sounds like you've got this lovely sort of pop. Uh-huh. It sounds like a 
That's what it is. That like pops right away. Yeah, it's like. a really, really bright fucking snare. Mm-hmm. Which is, it stands out as well. And then you have, because I know Neve Kavanagh was used a lot for the female singing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't actually the guys, it was Neve. Yeah, yeah, she, 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 she covered a lot of that. And um, so, yeah, the album got into the billboard, like it was in the top mm-hmm. 20 at one point or whatever. So it was, so it was doing really, really well, and it still is doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, we would recommend you go to watch the film, listen to the soundtrack. Definitely. Come to Lola's. 28th of December. No matter where you are, even if you are one of our mates in Chile, we have three mates in Chile. We have seven in Mexico. Seven in Mexico. Um, if you want to fly back, come on ahead. Arriba. Uh, let us know. Show us your flight ticket. And I'll give you a free ticket in. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine if you had a mariachi band supporting? <laughs> Just three boys rocked up. We don't have a mariachi band supporting, but we do have Bruno uh, Broderick. Bruno Broderick. Oh, and well, good, yeah, happy days. So, uh, yeah, we try to keep it as local as we can. So we try to make oh, sure. Oh, it's Bruno with the band? Bruno with the full band. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So they're doing the support and then uh, ourselves come out. So, yeah, that's our night. But listen, the commitments, um, definitely I'm going to open it up to discussion. Anybody wants to argue with me that it's not the greatest Irish film ever made, please send us uh, your alternatives. But we won't fucking listen. Yeah. And uh, ever, <laughs> ever, we don't take anything on board. We will take it on board, but we're just not. Um, <coughs> I don't give it any credit. Yeah, Jesus, and we're fucking iron twenty minutes. In. We're iron twenty minutes, in, but it's because you kept talking to me about. Uh, I had to go through my therapy there to get out of that hole. Yeah, but it helped. It is. So yes, thanks for listening. It has been an iron twenty, but we know you love it, and uh, we will be back again next week with a uh, a rare episode. We'll just say a rare episode a rare episode something different next week um just because it's the end of the year you know it is the end of the year so after. we have to be doing something different so thank you very much for listening as always i've been connor keys and this has been Ronan walsh thank you very much lola's 28th of december and what's happening there the gig oh that's right yes. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that <laughs> thank you very much good night bye